I'm having my one. Hello and welcome to the board game podcast. Literally seven people might mention in passing at some point in their lives. <laughs> I'm having my one. We've made it to episode 33, which is the same number of frames in the final of the World Snooker Championships. And if you think that snooker is dull and goes on too long, just wait for what we've got in store for you. I'm joined as always by my fellow host, Tom. Hello there. And Neil. Oh, hi. On this episode, we will discuss the Unmatched Gaming series, chat about more games we have played, talk through some games in the hotness, and converse about games that have influenced our gaming journey. So let's break from this introduction and canon into Unmatched. So we've just finished playing Unmatched. This is an asymmetrical card-driven miniature battle game for two to four players. This pitches two teams of two against one another with the last character standing the winner. Each turn a player must take two actions which can help boost their hero or defeat their rivals. In each of the main boxes, there are three or four playable characters with high-quality mini-sculpts from history, myths, books, film, and specialist IP, including Buffy, Jurassic Park, and Marvel. There are also smaller booster-style boxes with one or two characters. Each of the main games can be played entirely by itself or combined with any other game or booster set. There are currently around 19 different of these sets in the series, including... Uh, their first steps into a cooperative adventure in their Tales to Amaze series, which was released this year. With such a variety of characters, there's always room for variation. For tonight, we had Robin Hood and King Arthur versus Bigfoot and Sherlock Holmes. Gentlemen, what did you think? Yeah, this is my uh, my second uh, playthrough of this. You and I played this ages ago, didn't we, mate? Yeah. Uh, up at yours. I was trying to remember the combos that we had, and I wonder, I feel like we maybe did one hero each as a bit of a learning game or something. So don't remember controlling two and two decks of cards. So that was quite good um, as a start of 10, just having the kind of the teammate having a slightly busier board. And yeah, it's just quite, quite fun, short simple it's not complicated it's very much a case of read the card do the thing so yeah i enjoyed uh, i enjoyed playing it uh in in full and obviously uh backed up by, by my teammate tom oh yes on the unstoppable duo of <laughs> uh robin hood and king arthur they kind of work together those two don't they, they yeah do. absolutely uh yeah whereas uh bigfoot and sherlock holmes uh slightly more interesting combination maybe yes but Absolutely, that could be a Sherlock Holmes novel in the making. Yeah. <laughs> so on that particular game, you kind of went charging in with Bigfoot, didn't you? And then he he kind of got bombarded a little bit. Yeah, I regret my life choices. I had a very high attack card and I was like, I'm going for it. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Um, I was, I was role playing um, as Bigfoot and uh, forgot to consider any Sherlock Holmes based tactics that there might have been. So yes, I did. I did leave myself a little bit stranded. There are. It is a really simple game, but I think you can be very tactical. Like you guys worked very well in surrounding my characters, so then they couldn't escape or have some backup. Yeah. Although the Leroy Jenkins approach does tend to make that a little bit easier. Yes. Yeah. I was. But no, it's it's good fun, isn't it? It's you know, it, like you say, it's short, it's not difficult. You know, the the minis are like so. The box doesn't come with heaps of minis, and I like that it doesn't overcomplicate it. I'm assuming all of the 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 sidekicks, which I guess we'll explain in a second. All of the sidekicks are just tokens, right? Regardless of who they are. Yes, the only one in the entire series that is different 
is uh, there's one where you play as three velociraptors. <laughs> you, yeah. yeah, I've seen that one. That's that yeah. is because I love Jurassic um, Park. Yeah. So, right. but there's there's no um, there's no sidekicks in that, as it were, for the right. velociraptors. It's just three velociraptors, um, and and there are a couple of others in the series. Um, off the top of my head, uh, the Invisible Man doesn't have any sort of sidekick, but he has these little mist tokens that you can move around the board, so he can just pop up in different places on the map. Right. Okay. So, so for the benefit of the listener that may not have ever played or heard of this, there's like the main character, and then every main character usually has some sort of brackets sidekick. So, as Robin Hood, I had four outlaws that I could control. As um, as King Arthur, Tom, you had uh, Merlin. Yeah. Holmes had Watson, and uh, Bigfoot had the Jackalope. That's yeah, it. The jackalope. Yeah. Some of the pairings I don't quite I don't know enough about my Bigfoot lore, but I'm not quite sure why the Jackalope um They're gonna be friends. Come on. So what comes in the core game of this? So in the core game, whichever one you buy, whether you buy like the Jurassic Park, whether you buy the volumes one and two, there's a few Marvel sets. Um, but traditionally in the core game, you get four characters, each with a and the mini sculpts are really good, actually. I've not You'd be surprised to hear I've not got round to painting them. I would like to, but I haven't yet. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) So they come with a mini sculpt and a counter or a couple of counters to represent their assistance, uh, a deck of cards, and then there's always a double-sided board. So there's a couple of slight different options with with how you play. So, Um, and you mentioned as well, sorry to interrupt. So you mentioned as well that the, like one of the ways that you can lose is if you run through your deck of cards, you become exhausted. The decks different sizes, depending on, is that like a balancing as well? Yeah. that So that's all balanced and it's 30 cards per deck. I think they do quite a, a good job of providing, I would call it light asymmetry in terms of the cards. I mean, they're all doing pretty much the same thing you're either damaging defending there's then these scheming cards as well which i suppose give you slightly different maybe more thematic abilities that you can use with one or other of your characters so yeah, there is variation saw, saw those like scheme cards coming that that um definitely i thought added a bit of flavor as you're going through because i had stuff that was a bit more merlin-y or a bit more king arthur-y yeah um i i think you know you kind of have to be very careful with your hand management because you start with five cards, you can have a maximum of seven, but it's really easy to kind of mm. burn through your cards quite quickly. I think maybe you you found that more than Neil, Tom, with the, with the deck you were playing with. Yes and no. Like, I, I remember that being one of the end game conditions, right, is, is going through the deck. So I sort of wasn't thinking, you know, is, is that, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't quite picture that being something that happened. Is that common? Do we just play really quickly? We just killed you off in no time? Uh, I've never run out of cards. Mm, okay. I guess if you were playing... Pretty rare. I guess that's not why they want you to end the game. Right? No, and, and 30 cards is quite a lot. I think because you're drawing cards, it's worth saying that some cards you can use for your hero or the sidekick, but some cards are specific to one or the other. And I think... With it, the nature of a deck of cards being random, how you shuffle them. For example, my last three Sherlock Holmes cards I drew in the game were uh, I could only use for Watson, who had died much a turn earlier. So, yeah, yeah, there are some limitations there, I guess. Right. And like any game like that, where you're drawing on your, your luck of what you, you, you get out from that deck... I didn't feel like I had a lot of Merlin cards or I just wasn't paying enough attention. I think actually there were quite a few any as in use it for anybody cards and yeah. i just i just didn't recognize that but there weren't a lot of um what the hell is it called what's the secondary 
there weren't a lot of sidekick cards mm-hmm. that I particularly noticed for mine. But maybe that's deliberate, right? You want to be using your main character more. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it, it also then depends on your character. So, for example, Robin Hood gets four outlaws. So yeah. maybe you want to be using them more. So there might be more cards coming through through in the deck. Um, okay. But, but you know, this with with any other, you know, kind of system like it, they're designed to be light, quick, half-hour filler games or if you're really into this sort of thing then you know you can get six seven games in of an evening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely i mean for me it sits much more in that filler category i i, I enjoy playing this game that the kids especially like playing this game but for me it's have that and then something else rather than kind of that as the main event yeah okay i mean i think you could quite happily play through it do you know what this feels like a really good game for like a two or three person visit to a board game cafe or something like that something that's on the shelf grab it no thought really have a beer at the same time absolutely absolutely perfect for that yeah i actually think although we played it at three i actually think it would play quite well at four because i i I think that there's also probably a good level of confusion of like you know doing the whole left brain right brain with two characters Mm. you'd guaranteed miss like special abilities or something i think i I, Mm -hmm. I don't know i i i think it'd be a really good like wednesday night you know 30 minute filler i agree that that four is for me kind of the ideal ideal number because it's a it it is a silly game you've got to take it tongue-in-cheek you can't take this game overly seriously Mm. i don't think no 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 i mean it's i remember we was talking about this podcast episodes uh and podcast episodes ago about me feeling like oh god simulationist i can't deal with king <laughs> arthur fighting bigfoot um but... episode, episode four listeners <laughs> was it yeah. is that when we spoke about it well done uh actually doesn't matter don't don't care i'm just so much more relaxed these days than than when we first started the podcast as you guys can attest to yes <laughs> so who else would you like to see well, that was that was my next question on there. I'll just say really quickly, the Jurassic Park one. How the hell does that work? Like, <laughs> okay, so the engine, in-gen versus the Raptors, you know, you kind of get that broadly. But T-Rex versus Dr. Sattler, like, isn't that the quickest game ever? <laughs> and, and it's worth noting yeah. that all of the miniscopes are around the same size, apart from the T-Rex. That T-Rex looks huge. It's it's disgusting, yeah. Um, I like this. He gets Doctor Malcolm as the uh, as the uh, as the sidekick. So everyone will just be there, wolf whistling for uh, for Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so, I would say I would like to see just because we we're all kind of fans is some um, Star Wars based characters. But this game's actually based on Star Wars Epic Duels, which was a game that came out um previously to this um 2000 and i want to say 2003 they never make any star wars games yeah um so it's based on a a 2002 star wars game which actually supports up to six players i did look at getting it but it's one of these that's like 140 quid off of ebay because it's an Mm -hmm. old out of print star wars game and that's actually based on a transformers game which you can still pick up second hand for about 30 quid oh um, really mm. okay but i think some maybe lord of the rings it'd be nice to see you know gandalf and some urukais yeah it's it out. Of any but it's got of... to be unmatched right so okay, it should yeah, be like sure. it should be like it should be like saruman versus greta thunberg or something you know what i mean that's like that's what unmatched 
<laughs> Come on then, Tom. Who would you like to see in this series? Oh God, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I think if you're trying to make it unmatched, then then yes, probably something uh, that you, you'd pull from from history. So I don't know. You put Julius Caesar against I don't know uh, Theresa May or something like that. Okay, that would work. Yeah, uh, or. Uh, Genghis Khan versus the Dalai Lama. Just, just going to say, <laughs> or Neil Armstrong um, versus uh, Nelson Mandela. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there are kind of, I guess, other systems out there. I mentioned Star Wars, Epic Jewels, and Transformers. Um, for those that like the Netflix series, there was the Dragon Prince Battle Charge. They brought out. Um, if you haven't seen it, then it's kind of pointless, but it's based all around that kind of uh, cartoon that's uh, been doing the rounds on Netflix. Overall, I mean, Tom especially, uh, we'll get onto scores soon. How 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 did you, because this isn't really, as you mentioned before, like necessarily the sort of go-to game, whereas I've spoken about it a lot. So broadly speaking, how did it hold up? I thought it was fun. I, I think that's the heart of it, is that you need to not take it too seriously. Just play the game for its silliness very, very quick and um, and, and enjoy enjoy it for what it is. The, you know, there's something that's quite fun about a little skirmish game that appeals to me, and this is this is what this is at, at heart, right? So yeah. I think very good. And, I, and I'm, I, the bit that I think is brilliant about it, they've done really well, is that point you made about the fact that all these things just work together. And it's so simple, but they've left it flexible enough that you can get any of those expansions and put them together. And that's brilliant. You know, nobody likes, you know, the the expansion that requires, like adds a load of rules particularly, or, um, you know, just feels like excess stuff or doesn't quite work because you haven't got all of those bits. You need to add that as well, all this kind of stuff. I can't really think of an example of an expansion that does that. But, you know, point being, you get any of these sets and it just works. And that's, that's great. I really respect what they did for that. And you don't have to then learn like loads of different rules so it's not like root where you're like yeah i've got the moles now sit and listen to to all sure. the things i can do it's just sure. everyone does the same thing still that's good mm-hmm. uh, and i think kind of as i as i mentioned uh, or someone else mentioned there's only three actions you can do you can maneuver which is draw a card and move you can play an entry card or you can yeah. you can attack and there are some cards that break the rules which explain them on the cards and everything kind of on those cards is like self-explanatory mm-hmm. they have brought out um a new slightly new system uh that's maybe worth touching on which is unmatched adventures tales to amaze so in this game um you're fighting against one of two baddies but this is done as a cooperative system so the baddies in this have their own movement and and stuff and they kind of operate independently and then your characters are working together to to defeat them okay uh, and and in this the two villains you get are mothman or the martian invader mm. and um it, in it you get um Nikola Tesla is one of your characters. But again, I think fitting with the unmatched, they're still exactly the same. It's a character with a set of 30 cards with attack, defense, and uh, nice little side bits that they can do. So with this, you can take your original characters and play them in this game, or you can take these characters and still just battle them like we did tonight. Yeah. 
tricky, isn't it? Because I think I think from all of those sets, I like a few, like a couple of them, and you kind of almost want to be like you almost want to pick a, a mix, build your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be quite good. <laughs> well, but uh, maybe maybe that's something uh, you know you could sort of because you the other thing is ultimately you could split them, couldn't you? So you could buy a couple of sets and keep Sinbad and uh, swap Medusa with Dracula or however yeah, you want to. Yeah however you want to do it. So I guess the the final question I want to ask you guys before we move on to the scores is how does a game like this fit into our ethos of having a one when you play? I think because the actions are so small, like there's a bit of like, oh, actually, no, I, I don't want to move there. I'll move there. But that's like the game state hasn't developed, so it's not really a one anyway. And it's not like you can one a combat card that you've played. So... There's yeah. a little bit of uh, playing stuff in the right order. Yeah, that's the only bit I can see that it fits in into that. That um, but it goes back to the simplicity again. Points that we've made right is that there's not too much to think about. So yeah, not hugely wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. Let's then move on to our scores on the doors. Tom, what would you give Unmatched as kind of a whole game system out of ten? I think that. For me, a score of seven is a score that's something fun that I don't necessarily have on my shelf, but it's, you know, I, I'm happy to play it. Good, dash, usually willing to play it, says on BGG. So there you go. That's what it is. Replace good with fun if you want. So seven. Neil? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit torn on this. If I'm quite honest with you, my first play at yours didn't give me the greatest impression but I enjoyed tonight more than I thought I would. And I do think it's actually, I think it's got a very, very good place as a Wednesday filler. So um, I think that I would, yeah, I don't know, it's like a seven, seven and a half. Okay. Seven and a half, because I don't do debt, like I don't do parts of. Um, and in the nice system of moving up in halves, uh, I'm going to give it an eight. I think that's why I'd previously rated it on Board Game Geek and we in our house very much enjoy playing it and we enjoy playing it with the kids. And I think if the kids didn't enjoy this game, maybe that might affect my feeling of the score, but we've had a lot of, you know, fun evenings playing this. So uh, hence, hence my eight. That was unmatched. Uh, you know, as we've discussed, there's plenty of options in the series if this is the sort of game that interests you. But for now, let's move on and talk about more board games. <laughs> Right, now we've come to the time where we talk about the games that we have been playing, either together or separate, over the last couple of weeks, but not for the podcast. Although now we're talking about it on the podcast, I guess we have played them for the podcast. Anyways, according to Tom, these descriptions are getting a bit long-winded. So we went out and sent our thoughts over to our marketing department to see what they could come up with. So with our newly branded section that is the same as the old section, but with less waffle, let's look at what we've had on the table. Hey, it costs 10 grand. Welcome to On The Table, dear listener. Tom, coming to you first, because Noel would say something sarcastic like mayonnaise. What have you had <laughs> on the table? Sriracha. <laughs> uh, we have finished our uh, campaign or championship, as it's known, of uh, Heat Pedal to the Metal. We've talked about this game before, so I'll be fairly brief on it. Um, we, Neil and I and a couple of friends, have done a campaign of three races uh, that put together that have just been great. And I think, uh, although I came fairly dead last, standard, uh, I really like this game. Now, the the dopiness of my early assessment of it regarding Flamme Rouge is very, very clear. 
we all got regrets this is a different game and it's very worth having both in your collection in my opinion the decision making the push your luck elements of it of trying to get around the corners the kind of little catch-up mechanic that it's put in there um because unlike flam rouge this can be quite you know a lot of flam rouge games you get in your peloton and you you kind of that mostly is is how the race will go but with this it really spreads out so it has got some cool catch-up mechanic that they've built into that i think maybe one criticism is that the spinning out is maybe not quite damaging enough i have been more cautious than others in our playing group let's say maybe hence the last place it's not how you race uh, a racing car perhaps drive a racing car um but when those others who have driven more aggressively spun out and then still won it doesn't quite sit back right but you know it's fine it it it's just it's, it's part of the game and i think maybe i just hadn't been pushing it hard enough um really great neil i know you were saying when we last played that the um you know that that decision like do i push it do i just push it a little bit further on the last race that we had you were in a good position in the uh in the championship um but on that last race you you had an unfortunate spin out that did impact you quite a lot yeah yeah i paid the uh well it was one of those it, it simulates it quite nicely because i was probably sitting second or third in the championship but a, a win especially because i think there was bonus points up for grabs for the first place I think a win would have sealed the deal and it was, yeah, it was on the penultimate corner before a massive straight and I just miscalculated and I completely messed it up. Kudos to, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal anyone's identity, but we'll, we'll, we'll call them gung ho Dave for now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just absolutely living that uh, game's name to its truest extent. Spinning around more than Kylie Minogue, but still with. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But really good. I think that it's not quite a game of the year for me. We played it once last year. We played it three times now this year. It it's good. It's not quite up there, but but I've I've had taken a lot of enjoyment from that. And you know, kudos to designers and um uh, and Days of Wonder uh, for putting a, a game out that's that's so good. All right, thanks, Tom. So Neil, tell us what have you had on the table. So for me, I've been very, very pleased to get Distilled on the table this week. So Distilled, I picked up um, a copy secondhand uh, a few months ago now. This is the, uh, the, 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 the whiskey and other spirit distilling card management game um, by Dave Beck and Paverson Games. Um, this is one we've talked about a couple of times again on the pod. We, uh, you know, I, I was even tempted by this um, back when it kickstarted and, and just didn't quite get there for, for one reason or another. I'm pleased to have picked up a copy now. It was a tough self-teach. I know there's videos and stuff out there, but it was one of those where it does come with a built-in tutorial. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah, but very much a, like a you you will pick these five personalities. You will have these starting cards. You will like this will be in the market and, and whatever. But that is a great way of learning all of the mechanics of a game. Nothing wrong with that at all for me. Like it's when in some of my more in-depth GMT stuff, the playbook, it, it will you, you can just play through a few turns of one of those. No problem with that at all. Yeah. So yes, I had a game of Distilled with Dave and Rich. So this is a really, really interesting um little spirit making game um it's just got some really really cool mechanics so you each take control of a distillery you pick uh what they call like a tasting flight which which determines which spirits are available in each game um and then ultimately there are three components there are like the barrels that you mix the spirit in 
certain spirits will go straight from the barrel into the bottle. So your lung, your young spirits, your, your gins, your vodkas, all of that kind of stuff. And then your aged spirits, your whiskeys, your brandies, all of that kind of stuff can then get aged in, in wooden or clay, you know, wooden barrels or clay pots. Mm-hmm. The the mechanism of the game, you start off with like this market round. So you're each then just buying stuff from the market, whether it's people to work in your distillery or whether it's uh, ingredients or whether it's pieces of equipment. So bottles, barrels, all of that kind of shenanigans. Yeah. Then you go into the distilling phase where you say to yourself, right, I'm going to try and make gin. And you know that with gin, you need yeast and water for all of your alcohols. So you've hopefully picked up some yeast and some water in the in the market phase. And then you need some sort of form of sugar. And the the sugar form comes from either plant, fruit or grain. And then when 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 distilling, those sugars then get converted into alcohol. And this this is where you then do like this little push your luck kind of mechanic. So you'll say, right. I'm trying to make gin. I need two grain sugars at the end of the process to have successfully made gin. You take your as many yeast cards as you wanted to have played, as many water cards as you wanted to have played, and then as many fruits, uh, uh, sorry, grain spirit cards as you wanted to have played that you've bought. You match the grain spirit cards with alcohol cards. So you now make like a little mini deck of your of your distillation. You shuffle it up, you dump two cards out at random or the top and the bottom card, and then you look at the cards you got left. And if you've then met the criteria to still have two of those grain spirit cards remaining, you have successfully made gin and then you can sell it for a profit and victory points and all that kind of stuff. That's funny. I don't know if that's too much waffle, but but it, it, it just creates this really, really nice little like kind of almost like a mini game where mm. it is a bit of a push your luck, but you know that the more alcohol you pump into your your spirit, the more you age it, the more valuable it's going to be. Like it, it's mm. it's really good thinky. It felt like a bit of a chore to learn. I don't know how much of a chore it felt uh, to Dave and Rich to teach, but it was a you know it's one of those like twenty minute teach for for you know neither of them had watched a video and we were off. And, you know, first round, I think people are a little bit unsure, but the first round, you're basically going to make vodka or moonshine, so it doesn't really matter. I was really on the fence about this, and I'm really glad to have picked it up, and I look forward to trying it with you guys. They look really cool on the table as well, the pictures you sent. Great. Well, what have you been playing on the table this week? For me, for my on the table, I've been playing Gnar, which I've not actually played on the table I've played on Board Game Arena. This was a, a game we talked about in the uh, Six of the Best a couple of episodes ago. Uh, and it really, I was quite interested in this game. So I wanted to kind of look at a little bit more about it. I'm I'm kind of weighing up, picking it up. It's not, a, you know, it's a sort of 20 quid, half hour, you know, nice, quick, sort of almost like puzzle game, really. Then I saw they had it on Board Game Arena. It's not a site I massively use, but I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll go on and do their tutorial. And I kind of got a bit into it and ended up playing a few games back to back with the various random people you meet on there. <laughs> it's a it's a brilliant little game, uh, a lot more strategic than I was, you know, necessarily expecting when I first looked at it. But the the choice of the different Vikings you hire before you go on your expeditions and that will make a lot of difference to, you know, you can you can get a nice little bit of engine building where you, you're getting more points, more victory points, but then also more resources that you can spend to go on your, your expedition. So I think from playing that, when I'm when I'm next doing a little board games order, I might be uh, sticking that in the basket as well. It's a great looking game. 
after playing it, would you say it's a, a decision point where you can say yes or nah? Uh, i I will definitely be getting this game thanks guys that was a great first edition of on the table i can't wait to see what we have next time now let's pay a visit to our old friend the board game geek hotness with two games each from us that have caught our eye in six of the best should we just while he's getting some squash should we just like crack on with it or invent a jingle for six of the best. Six, six of the six of the six of the best. Six of the six of the it's six of the best. Hundred percent going in. <laughs> With this thing, voice, why not? Come on. Should be lucky to put that in there. <laughs> right, come on in. All right. Neil, what have you got for us first? So the first pick that drew my eye uh with some fairly heavy marketing on uh, Facebook and Instagram was uh, Dragon Eclipse. So at the point of recording this episode, uh, it's currently crowdfunding uh, live on GameFound, and that is by Awaken Realm. So obviously Team team Nemesis. Yeah. Um, this, from what I can tell, is a tactical arena combat style game for just one to two players. It also comes with an adventure mode that spans 12 different scenarios. Um, you will take on the role of a mistling, they're calling them, trying to take on uh, ferocious monsters, uh, in like a, imagine the sort of the play mats for Magic the Gathering. It's kind of that sort of size play arena, and it's like a small hex grid. Um, but the game's core mechanics come in like a card-based combat system. So kind of, again, thinking Magic the Gathering. They're basically trying to create a collectible card game, but where everything comes in the core box without, without by their words, the exorbitant price tag. Uh, hashtag more on that later. Players can then enjoy kind of customizing their own deck of cards, much like a CCG or an LCG or whatever. Um, the cards look great. The artwork does look sta- uh, does look stunning. The cards then come with different strengths and, and rarities. They, so they even have like shiny cards, but you can't like not get any of the cards. They all come in the in the main game. Yeah. But from what I can gather, yeah, you don't have to pay for for booster packs. So yeah, it's not like oh, Larry got the you know this shiny in his starter set, and, and you got one of the others. Um, the two things that they've doubled down on here is uh, is like I say, the artwork looks great, and then there's this plethora of glorious sundrop minis, and they do look fantastic. But in a campaign where they've tried to create uh, a game that avoids an exorbitant price tag, they've then gone straight in with their middle tier with 30 fantastic sun-dropped minis, which puts the price up by about another 80 quid. The 80 core quid. Game, well, something like that. Hang on. So the core game without the minis is a fairly affordable £55, uh, $55, sorry, where UK backers are then going to have to add fat and shipping. So more like $85, I guess. So what, 70 quid? And that's still a lot for a card game that's just cards and cardboard tokens, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. If, however, you want the minis, then the special edition is 119 plus VAT and shipping. And that gets you the sun-dropped minis. And the other thing that I'm just really torn on at the moment is that, so say like the core box comes with whatever, let's just pick a number. So let's say it comes with all 300 cards. What they've then done in the special edition is that of that 300, they've like chucked like 120 of the cards into foil wrapped booster packs so that you can feel like you're unwrapping the booster pack to get the cards (laughs) that are in the core game. And I'm just like, I know we're not being captured. Like, 
we're not exactly Captain Planet, but that's a bit of a waste, right? Mm-hmm. And it feels a bit like fake Christmas as well, like sending yourself a Valentine's card, which I've never done, obvs. But, you know, we're like, oh, what's in this booster pack? Oh, it's that card. That sounds a bit negative, but I just that that just doesn't I don't get that. It, it looks fun. It does. It genuinely looks like a fun, interesting game. I've said of the Star Wars and of the uh, Lorcana that I, I still just kind of fancy the idea of some sort of LCG or CCG. It is a great option that that they're never going to release more cards for it. So it can't be that you've got like pay to win and they're not they're not asking you to fish for booster packs and stuff. But I think at the moment, the price tag's a bit steep and I've chosen not to back it. Um, But if someone else bought it and brought it along, then I'd be more than curious to give it a go. The miniatures look wonderful in this. They look great, right? They look so good. As you'd kind of expect expect from Awaken Realms. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, thanks, Neil. Tom, what have you got for us? So the first one I've got is Ticket to Ride Legacy Legends of the West. This is a game that's got a lot of people excited, I think. It's so Ticket to Ride. We know, right? Um, but they have got on board this this campaign thing now, right? So we've got a story element to it. We're in uh, the US here, so I think the original Ticket to Ride. Um, 1865, the westward expansion of railroads in the US from the Atlantic coast all the way across to the uh, Pacific, the transcontinental, do they call it? Maybe? Makes sense, doesn't it? Let's call it that. And... You, over the course of the story, you can expect that you'll be building this. Uh, it's got this modular board, so you start off sort of eastern states of uh, of the US, eastern seaboard, and uh, and you're very clearly going to be adding to that as you go through. It's uh, from the designers, uh, Rob uh, Davio and Matt Leacock of Pandemic Legacy and Unmatched fame. Well, uh, Rob Davio is of un- Unmatched anyway. But also... The, the OG Ticket to Ride man, Alan R. Moon, who's going to be involved in this, or sorry, who is involved as well. They've done a new kind of version of the art here as well uh, from the European version that I know, but I think there's that more common artwork that they've used across the board. It's still kind of in the same um, the same style, but they've just refreshed it a bit and look, looks really good, I think. the This is a game that I'm all over. I think it's great. I think this this absolutely could be a game to get to play uh, with my wife on a regular basis as a campaign game. I kind of been looking for something that would would do that for a while and toyed around with some of the, uh, what they call like the exit advent advent calendars and those kind of things to see, you know, would that work? But not sure whether we'd we'd quite be able to keep up with it. Um, But this is something that should have, everybody loves tickets, right? Like even people not really into uh board gaming can enjoy and get on with what tickets ride is about and so doing something like this that has a little story element which i'm going to love uh i think makes this very very appealing now the downside of it is for pre-orders right now it's about 75 quid so it is an expensive one if you think of your kind of price of ticket to ride more generally i think is in the kind of you know 35 40 quid 75 I don't know. Maybe that's not unreasonable. It looks like it comes in a hell of a big box. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, and, you know, maybe there's 75 quid's worth of fun there. I think that's definitely, if if it helps, that's in line with other legacy games, right? So I definitely think I paid about Probably. 85 for Clank Legacy. 
And I think when I bought Pandemic Season 1, I think that was about 70, 80 quid. Yeah, fair enough. Years ago, I mean, right? Even these days, it's nearly 60 to pick it up, depending on which copy you, you're getting. Um, there will It's on pre-order, sorry, for 75, and there will be copies uh, available, I understand, to, to look at and maybe purchase at Essen as well. All right, thanks, Tom. Uh, I look forward to hearing about what the game's like once you've purchased it. Okay, my first choice this week is Yokohama. This is an old game from 2016, which is massively out of print, but it's looking like uh, a new edition will be teased to us imminently. Uh, So this is in Japan where your small fishing village is becoming a a massive bustling harbour with lots of trade coming in and out and lots going on. It's It's one of these real big kind of slightly weighty strategy games where not only are you trying to work out the the best way to get goods and make money from that but you kind of need to work your your network through all the the harbors so you kind of having to you know place your little buildings and stuff across the across the network to you know maximize this it looks like one of these really good popular strategy puzzle games um the you know i think the artwork's good there's something about that kind of especially if you look at the box art that like japanese style drawings they've got on the box looking at some of the playthroughs it looks it looks like a real challenge to to you know try and try and work your way through this kind of puzzle to set yourself up as uh, the most successful merchants in uh, all of uh, this little area of japan so i'd be interesting once the reprint comes out to have a look at it more although by the scowl on Tom's face, maybe not so much from him. Well, so is the the original then? Is this 2016 that I'm looking at here on Board Game Geek? Is it? Yes, and uh, yeah, as I say, they've kind of teased that a reprint is coming, but there isn't much more detail on it. It looks mega, mega, mega busy. This yep. I don't know whether these pictures of people that's spread across the table is a good example of how you'd play this. There's so much information. There's so much on these cards that I'm looking at. But I, I think, again, it's it's like any other where there's a lot of information. There's a lot of iconography. So once you've got your head around the iconography. But it it's supposed to represent this, like, ever-expanding, sprawling kind of new... Um, metropolis is the wrong word but you know in this harbour port it's suddenly you know from a tiny little fishing village it's gone boom and it's like right we've got to get sure everything out to make money and and i think actually that kind of real busy appearance that it's got is is deliberately designed Absolutely. and it's hit, hit and the brief yeah yeah and it's and it's all card based so as you you know it's one of those not not you know two games aren't the same you don't set your cards out in this order every time the, the cards will be randomly generated to give you your space. So as you're yeah. working your way through the markets, is a different every time you play the game. Okay. Yeah. Right. Not sure it's one for me that, but yeah, fair enough. Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Neil, uh, what's your second choice for us? So my uh, second choice is food chain magnate. So I was trying to, uh, to pick something that I was familiar with um, on the list. So, this is in the hotness basically because they have just announced like a what do they call it like a pre-launch on GameFound um, for an upcoming crowdfunding campaign, and it's basically it's being redone by Lucky Duck Games, um, and there's basically like a special edition coming out, and it might even be out by the time of the release of this episode. So head over and check it out to see if it is. 
The shtick for the special edition is basically what they're what they're like in quotation marks calling original recipe gameplay with an all new look. So um, I think we can uh, from what I've seen of one of the little spoiler photos, the teaser photos, you can expect to see like colored printed tokens. So, you know, previously the lemonade was just a green bottle and the Coke was just like a brown bottle. And now it's going to be like the wooden shape, but then with the whole like sticker over the top, you know, to make it look a bit better mm-hmm. um the same for like your sodas your pizzas your burgers uh all of the cards are now in color um although it's the same kind of 30s style artwork there's now plastic buildings the original food chain magnate was released by splotter spellen uh back in 2015 i've played it i rate it highly but i'm curious why we haven't tried it yet boys what are your thoughts on this tom i know you've got some reservations about the artwork from memory uh probably knowing me um but i think also just looked so complicated uh this game i felt that it was probably in line with uh what what's what's your man lisboa vital lacerda vital lacerda that i felt it was maybe within that that world where it gets to the level of complexity for something that i'm not that passionate about yeah okay paul yeah, again, I think for me, theming and artwork is a is a big thing. I, you know, I I enjoy these kind of large puzzle esque games, and and I suppose if you know if you've got a copy, and we sat down. I wouldn't say no to playing it, but I guess it just wouldn't be of the of all of the hundreds of thousands of games that are out there that I've not played. I just guess it's probably not a priority rather than I do actively don't want to play it. So Food Chain Magnet, so just going by the BGG rating, and I know that that's often subjective, the BGG rating's 4.2 for Food Chain Magnet, 4.6 for Lisboa. So it's quite a, it is quite a jump up to Lisboa from there. The thing that I love about this, and I absolutely adore having like, I worked in hospitality obviously for years, more about, you know, maybe uh, maybe about us in the, uh, the main topic, but but it's all about it's all about this mechanic of hiring workers and then each worker in the action phase will be then used to do their action. So if you want to make burgers, you hire the burger cook and then in the action phase, the burger cook cooks the burgers. Right. But there's just such an amazing little puzzle of like, well, you might not produce the best burgers. But if you've got a wicked marketing budget, then you can steal all of the customers that are in Paul's neighborhood and get them coming over to buy your burgers. And you can upsell them on some sodas, perhaps, and you can get them hungry for lemonade or or, or all of this kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's it's one of those that I really, really enjoyed. I highly rate the, 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 the base game. Would a fancy reprint in colour take my interest? Probably not, because I'm quite happy with the game as it is. The core, the core splotter game was out of print for ages, which made it super highly desirable. And it's also, I think, I think if you buy direct from splotter, it can be quite pricey. Um, but you can get them, you can get copies of the core game now for sort of 60 to 80 quid. I don't know what the new version is going to run. I will also say that I think from what I've seen, the Lucky Duck version will basically include the catch up um, expansion. So one of the gripes with core food chain magnate is that you can get left behind a little bit, hence the ketchup expansion, the uh, ketchup expansion. Uh, God, so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But that's another 50 to 70 quid if you can find it in print. But it does add a couple of really, really good bits to the to the main game. So I think it is going to be coming out as a one-up. But I, I personally 
prefer the black and white non-plastic building just give me the core game right can't time's uh time's moving on tom what's your final pick <laughs> militant hosting my second and final is even for I think I heard someone pronounce it Evanfall. It's Evanfall. Of course it's Evanfall. Uh, by a chap called Stefano De Silvio, who's a first-time designer, which is awesome. I'm um, really happy to see somebody's first-time game get into the uh, into the hotness like this. It is from DLP uh, Games, though, who we know from Olio, uh, Maracaibo, that sort of thing. So it's got a good bit of backing on it. Card-driven engine builder we're looking at here. Feels a little bit on the surface of it. You go, oh, is it inspired by Everdell? Hard to not draw the comparison. There's a big old tree on the front of the box. Um, and when looking a little bit about what it does as well. However, this does look like it's really cool. Um, you're building out your tableau with these cards. Um, and which, you know, something that I do like. It's quite a satisfying thing to do as well, I think. But then again, a little bit Everdelly. Everdelly. You <laughs> should be a great name for a deli um would you then make the spaces for you to be placing your workers so again let's say a little bit a little bit like everdell there one to four players the art looks quite good it's maybe a little bit generic fantasy maybe some of what i was just saying about the the busyness of other car uh of the japanese game that name escapes me at the moment um yokohama yokohama thank you um this may be some similar criticisms anyway um the world that we're in is you know, it's fancy, it's big world tree portals into other worlds, which is all this kind of stuff. Um, so if any of that floats your boats, have a look at this. Um, I think, as I say, some people are getting quite excited about this one. Um, have a look at it. It should be available uh, from October, Essen kind of time. Um, you know, it's just the, the time of year when so many new games come out. Uh, there do seem to be some pre-orders available in the UK for about £50, uh, but... Uh, it's not very widespread at the moment, so I don't think a lot of retailers got hold of it yet. That's even for my final choice uh, for for this section is Cryptid Urban Legends. This is from Osprey Games, who is someone we've usually quite uh, quite uh, positive about. Uh, this is a follow up game to uh, something called Cryptids, which came out in twenty came out in twenty eighteen, uh, where it's a deduction game where you're trying to find these cryptid, these monsters that are kind of hiding around your city. This two-player game, one person plays a cryptid to try not to be caught, and the other one plays a scientist trying to to capture. So it's a two-player asymmetric head-to-head game. Um, I kind of picked it because it was Osprey Games. I think there seems to be a very good kind of push and pull element in this where you're adjusting the play area as you go along where the the human is trying to narrow down where the cryptid is by removing tokens and the cryptid is trying to not give away his location by adding more tokens to the to the game game board another 20 minute game i have to say that this theme doesn't necessarily appeal to me i think it kind of had a bit of a feel of like so you've been eaten you know that kind of asymmetric two-player game um but as games go you can currently pick it up in zatu for 12 quid so you know it's a bit hp lovecrafty the way the way the design looks which yeah isn't a theme that necessarily appeals to us as a group but is quite popular with a lot of people yeah yeah but take or leave it for me really 
Yep. Sorry, Paul. I've been like that for both your choices this, this episode, haven't I? <laughs> That's all right. I, I completely agree with the second one, um, but you're wrong on the first one. Okay. Take that. So that was this episode's six of the best, and we will constantly keep our eye on the hotness uh, and come back to you with some more games next time. For our topic this week, we've been asked by one of our listeners on our Discord chat to have a little discussion about ourselves in a kind of small meet the team type section. We briefly discussed kind of our gaming origin stories in episode two of the podcast, but it would be good to see maybe if our gaming preferences have changed over the last 18 months. So one of the questions we've been asked through this discussion is kind of how did you meet? And I guess it leads into how did we start the podcast? Uh, Neil and I, it's easy enough. We're brothers. And so one year and 11 months into my happy little life, it was disturbed by this hairy little chap here. Tom, how did you kind of get involved with us then? How did I get involved with YouTube? Uh, well, we know each other through mutual friends and, you know, some of our earliest conversations were very Game of Thrones uh, themed in the very early days of that. I swear, like, the, the the only things we ever used to talk about were were theories of Game of Thrones for a little while anyway. Um, many a visit to a pub for someone's birthday or something, um, definitely with Neil at any rate, we'd sort of snootle off to a little corner uh, to uh, just talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> It literally was that, wasn't it? It was like every three months we'd get together and discuss like R plus L equals J. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, and Paul, I think yeah, met you first. Um, and uh, you know the whole the whole time to be honest, I've known both of you guys has been a a board game element to what what we've been doing, even if it was a bit more on the periphery when we first knew each other. Or let's call it games, like a lot of party games, like. You know, things that we do, like the name game and that sort of thing, when um first got to know you, Paul. Yeah. But it's interesting, though, right? Because, like, when 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 I first got to know you and we were doing, like, the whole the whole Game of Thrones scheming, we weren't board gaming at all at that point. But you I... but you you were, right? You were, like, you were gaming with, with, with uni mates and with family and with brothers and stuff. Not uni mates, but brothers and family and stuff. Yeah, uh, kind of getting into it, because that must have been, like, 2010 11 something like that um that i first met you neil anyway um but i i don't i don't know like do you know what? actually one one thing that i think now now i've actually thought about it yes paul with you actually was more kind of party game stuff but i remember it was our friend ali's stag do that you and paul and dave brought out munchkin yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that really addicted at the time. Munchkin pirates, I think. From memory. yeah, something like I was like, what on earth is this? But these guys look cool. <laughs> and Dave was there. Boy, and... do we! <laughs> and um, and there we go. That's that's where the the board game magic began with Munchkin of all flipping games. <laughs> so I'm trying to think then what the crossover was. So that was back in the glory days when we were doing. Uh, Oh, I can't say glory days when I'm married because that makes it sound like I'm miserable. <clears throat> when I was not. happy and not married, yeah. had loads of time um, and money and the children. That those were the days when we were doing boys' night round Ali and Riches pretty much every single Monday, right? When and this is something we've already talked about on the pod when we used to just watch TV shows such as Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead or whatever, and then we kind of gradually got into like playing Munchkin and then Last Night on Earth, and and it kind of just spiraled from there. I was trying to think about some of the proper sort of first gaming experiences that we had 
with you tom and when you came on board with that so i know we played britannia with you around yours god can that be one of the first ones we did but then so at what point did we realize that because i think we kind of and i'm clubbing paul and i kind of as one group and you and 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 your bros as like another group so there was always like this kind of thing of like oh tom plays quite serious games with his brothers and we play quite serious games, but then there was never like too much of a crossover, right? So when did we start as a three I, and a four kind of hanging out? Was it TTS? Was it was it lots? So I think it was. I think we sort of there was a gradual like going back to Ali Stagdu and kind of kind of maybe maybe the odd game of something here and there. But then there was a a boys' weekend away where we played some some games. But you and I were that kind of thing. That, but... that was that was 2019. That right. was the ski oh. trip that, that I was in. Oh, you didn't come to that. Okay. So then, but we had had other games days. So I think I knew uh, Ali and had played games with him a bit and then bit with with Rich. Didn't really know Dave so well. Didn't know you so well, Neil. Um, but then we had some some times when we, we played games and John came around to my place in Epsom a couple of times uh, as well. We played, I think, Game of Thrones. We played Hero Quest. Um, we played those sort of type games, really. I think Hero Quest was one of those Hero things Quest. that we, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we sort of had some conversation. Oh, yeah, you know, you used to play Hero Quest. We used to play Hero Quest. Then I do think that actually the big thing that changed changed this into us three was was the pandemic because we I can't remember which of us got into Tabletop Simulator first, but we, we kind of got about to you know playing a bit on there and rich used to join us and ali used to join us um and we played so many games on tts through that summer of 2020 which seems really weird that you know we play so much now but actually it was only three years ago that we really got into it in that kind of way which almost feels like can't be right but i think it is um and then in the summer of 2021 we had our first uh weekend oh, away didn't we with ali yeah 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 where we played something like, I don't know, 18 games in 36 hours or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was bonkers. Yeah, and that was summer of 2021. And I think it was in the subsequent months after that, we started to go a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe we could build a podcast out of this. Well, I think it stemmed from we would play a game, finish playing a game going, oh, it's a bit late, we should probably go to bed now. And then an hour later, we were still talking about the game. Right. <laughs> And obviously, being the uh, articulate, charming blokes that we are, we were like, well, clearly, if we record this, millions of people will want to listen to this. So uh, I guess that's how the idea for the podcast started, didn't it? And uh, just kind of blossomed from there. Uh, Slashing UK on the Discord just said he'd like to be interested to know a bit more about you, the host, your background, how you started gaming. We've kind of covered that in episode two, but who else you game with and then what are your interests beside gaming and how those interests tie into the gaming that we play so so neil kind of when you're not playing board games what's your what are you up to you know what what are your other hobbies and things like that uh well it's kind of changed a little bit over the years um at the moment um I've always liked some form of sport, right? So um, when I was uh, less fragile, I used to used to enjoy playing a bit of rugby and stuff. Now it's very much limited to uh, to the odd uh, little bit of golf. I enjoy my cooking. I enjoy my food. So so you know, games that have got 
um, a little bit of an element or a tie to that can be can be can be quite good. That that's kind of where the the whole food chain magnate thing comes from, right? So I worked as a I worked in various sectors of hospitality for years. Started off uh, as a bartender, uh, hence distilled. Um, then moved into the uh, moved into the kitchen, did a bit of cooking and, and a bit of restaurant management stuff. Uh, then I was a private chef um, prior to the pandemic. Uh, and then switched careers after I met um, my uh, my now wife uh, to uh, to dog training. So golf, have you played the really nasty golf game? So I haven't played the really nasty golf game. I played a couple of other different little uh, golf games, but I haven't played the really nasty one. Played really nasty horse racing. Yeah. So I would say really nasty golf game is the better. I oh, really the really nasty. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I think it, mm, okay. it's it's quite clever. It's quite silly. You get a deck of cards where you can play to just like kick your opponent's ball out the way and things like that. <laughs> Which is exactly how I like to play my golf. Well, this is what I was going to say. It would be great <laughs> for you and I to have a like a back-to-back golf session where we play the really nasty golf game with all the cards, but then you're allowed to take those cards with you on the actual course. Okay. Um, so, Tom, tell us a little bit about like your background, what you're doing in your spare time and what you're up to. Yeah, I think life for me outside of the pod world uh, revolves around family, really, wife, kids, uh, and that and forever time to bring those two things together with uh, with board games. Um, like you, Paul, some slowly trying to breed my own little gaming group. Yeah. Uh, God knows what I'll do if one of them decides they don't like games at some point, but Abigail, my daughter, seems to just be chomping at a bit to uh, uh to have a go at these whereas my my son finn who is uh 16 months old very nearly um is more chomping the ball games at the moment um there's, uh, there's always adoption <laughs> you know he's the one you'll be playing campaign for north africa with one day <laughs> i can dream um for work i work in tech uh which is not something that i have particularly ever brought to uh, board gaming but uh, I think I, I have will have always will have a passion for history um and I think it has a massive impact on my my gaming trends whether it's kind of the early days of things that I've, I've mentioned before in this podcast of Britain, Britannia and Kingmaker and those sort of games that attracted me to to those I always when I was a kid liked those films like Zulu and the Bridge Too Far and kind of getting that then making me interested in in military history. I studied history at, at uni um, to like uh, my my postgraduate focus was on uh, uh, First World War or an aspect of the First World War anyway. And look at my collection of games. I think you can kind of see not interestingly First World War. I've got any First World War games, but um, kind of leaning into that 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 more and more uh in war games one or, or like historical simulation games but a maybe broader way to put it massive massively um n- not only games that i love and have always had just looking at the collection now but but growing percentage of my games are around that sort of thing i think well and uh, maybe it's time to drop in our uh, our recent purchase joint purchase through uh, bacchus and uh We've just got the uh, the starter set for the uh, Napoleon. It's a whole, whole new thing. It's just another level. War gaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think, as we were saying before, like the pandemic had the biggest impact on like my collection 
overall if we're kind of thinking about board gaming and how how that's kind of expanded and like the spare time and cash that I think a lot of us had during that time period where you know we were, we were stuck at home just meant I had some cash in hand to be able to spend on board games and I ended up buying a huge amount um I'd already started to get the collection and that's sort of just Sort of triggered something in my mind, sort of pre-pandemic, of you and I talking, Neil, about on the, on those sort of game day groups about, oh, you know, who's going to get Scythe? Is anyone going to buy Scythe? Oh, I'm, I bought Scythe, Blood Rage, you know, all those kind of things that were, were in the early days of the collection. But but yeah, the pandemic was was the big thing, like TTS we talked about, and also at the same time, it's kind of one of those things you just get wrapped up into your hobby, right? So the other thing that that, that that I found as soon as we then kind of started getting into that TTS and started building collections and stuff was I don't know about you guys, but I would then frequently try to, as well as the the, the like the YouTube and the the other influencers, be like, okay, what what else is on the top one hundred? What am I going to try next? out of these top 100 games because I kind of felt like my eyes were finally open to stuff and that I had to then like ingest all of this like board gaming experience and I guess the like the most popular rated games are a good place to start so that's then where like I was like you know scrolling down the list and be like Agricola what's Agricola all about and you know then you'd look into it and then we'd chat about it and then we'd you know we'd we'd someone would learn how to play it and then we'd like talk about it and then we'd and then we'd get it to the table and have a go at it like oh my god i can see what all the hype's about you know and i don't know if either of you two did that yeah no definitely we got totally wrapped up in that like a lot i think a lot of people do and maybe still still am to a certain extent in that cult of the new and sort of wanting to try what's what's exciting you know i remember the conversations about uh terraforming mars and getting getting hold of a copy of that uh wingspan as well you know and some of this being taught on on tts you know so many of these games that were sitting in that that top one 100 the kind of the, the desire to, to to get hold of them and, and play them definitely so, so maybe that's a good question then like what of the last couple of years have been your guys biggest like omg like groundbreaking eye-opening games and why because I think Terraforming Mars was one of those for me. And whilst it's now not one of my favourite games, Paul, you and I played that two-player and we were both like, oh my goodness, like, this is incredible. This has got so much stuff that we've never that we've never experienced before. And we were just utterly delighted at how all these mechanics, like, pulled in together. I think, I don't know about you guys, I think mechanics is is part of the thing for me that I enjoy most about a game and pushing and pulling and prodding and poking and learning how a new game works really, really fascinates me. But anyway, back to the original uh, question. At the risk of just on that point quickly on the risk of sounding superficial, but anyone who listens to this podcast, I think will know, I think I'm a bit more of a themes guy, really. Um, I do like a good mechanic and find something that's, that's cool. And the, and what you're doing as you're playing it is exciting when you discover something new, but you know, I, I love the theme. The themes of games is is what gets me really excited. I think. Yeah, I, I so think. So, what were your biggest OMG games of the last couple of years? Then. So, I think I would take it as you know when we started the podcast. If we have that as a bit of a watershed moment, so it's anything before then, because I, I take that up to things that we've, we've said already is kind of got much more into the hobby uh, then or maybe just before um so if you look at the time before that i think a, a game that you know feel a bit bad <laughs> because i've recently poo-pooed this one but root first time played root i just thought what on earth is this incredible game and we just played it and played it so that was, that was absolutely one of those 
talked about things like wingspan and yes terraforming mars i think was there as well a game like nemesis was was massive um I sort of maybe, although I love it, wouldn't put Quacks Cred Liebenberg in there because I sort of, same for Flamme Rouge, I sort of almost felt like these were, were great games that I somehow knew about them and they, they were, you know, I almost didn't need to discover them for myself. Um, and of course, June Imperium uh, and Brass Birmingham. Again, the, the story of Brass Birmingham, right, that we played it online, totally didn't get it. it all of us like, what the hell is this about? And, and Neil, you were uh, good enough to to kind of persevere with that and and buy a copy. And then we played it in person. Went, oh, my God, this is this is the game. So then how then do you think your gaming habits have changed then since well, if, we, if we're taking the start of the pandemic as the... So just out of the... Just out of... Um who I was hanging around with and what I was playing, I would say that over the years, I have started very much off as a miniature war gamer. Yeah. I then transitioned into uh, a big preference towards role-playing games. You know, got got quite into role-playing games, played a few little Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, but also enjoyed some of the other systems. So, you know, Pathfinder, 7th C, um, I enjoyed, we did a Didn't few. Didn't know you played Pathfinder, really? Yeah, only only one campaign of first, one campaign of second. But yeah, there was there was there was a big thing a few years ago when the second edition came out pre-pandemic. So yeah, and then and then and then slowly transitioned into board games, which would now massively take my favour. Now it's also very much dictated by who I'm playing with. So um, you know, if I'm playing with Tom, then we're likely to be working through something wary. Um, if I'm going to be playing on a Wednesday night, then it's probably something a little bit lighter that, that you could normally do in a couple of hours. If I'm doing something the three of us, it's normally something big and grand. And if I'm going to older shot, then that's normally my chance to get the the really there's 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 a couple of really heavy gamers there. So that's the chance for your, you know, your 18xx's and your splotters and your but I also really enjoy working through Steve's backlog of, of you know, of his old games. Like one of the best games that I've learned in the last year or two has been Republic of Rome. Tom, have you got anything yeah. you'd like to kind of add to? I think that to build on what in the same little bit, it's about it is about what you can get to the table and with who. And I think if I look at the games that I sort of got and wanted to play a lot, it was just a little bit, yes, the top 100 hit list and, and getting those and playing them before. Whereas now I think maybe I'm a bit more understanding of what we all like to to play, as Neil says, and also what I can get to the table. And that is something I'm trying to be a bit more critical about at the moment in my, my collection is, is this realistically going to get to the table yeah. uh, at some point or not? And forever looking for games that I can engage my my wife with, um, because I'd love to to play more games. You know, we're here at home, obviously, but the, the most time. So something that we can do, and you're like, uh, Turing machine, I think could be could be one of those. Um, I think also just like that counterpoint to the to the top 100 list is that I feel like I am. I don't know if this is true or not I, I like i know what i like a bit more now and i focus what i spend money on now on those kind of things i i did i don't buy as many games i think as i used to um i used to like through certain parts of the pandemic i remember i bought a game every single month i'm not doing that at all anymore i will go 
much longer t- period of time without buying anything um, to make sure I'm getting something that I really, really like and think that I can I can play. Occasionally, it's something that I just want to have a little look at and maybe I'll have a go uh, and a bit of a punt. But most of the time, it's it's more a game that I feel is really going to engage me or is definitely one that I can get to the table. And that's probably the biggest change. But I guess on top of that, maybe our collections are, are slightly bigger. And, and as you say, you, you've kind of streamlined what you want to play because you've got people that right that's that's my game for playing with my wife that's my game for playing with you know right and i and i think if i looked quickly uh prior to this at what i had played this year there's much less inevitably i suppose much less new stuff i'm playing the same things or things that have been around or in the collection for a little while much more this year than i have done previously i think yeah and and i think that leads nicely into gaming habits have changed and and you know maybe we're a bit more selective or happy to play things over and over again especially some of the bigger games yeah i feel you know sometimes you play a game once and you're like right okay i know what i want to do with that but i want to maybe try something different or you know uh i think for for me work anything that's got worker placement in it jumps right up the list for something i'm more than willing to play and mm-hmm. especially if it's got that what i think is the key to, for a worker placement is other people stop you going where you want to go and you want one more time. <laughs> the two key like things that make a really good worker placement obviously theme Absolutely. is important how it looks and stuff but yeah but i guess they're the sort of things i i think also we've seen quite a a shift since the past i mean board games had been on the rise kind of before and had always been happily bubbling away in the background but i think because of the pandemic and how much it it really took off we see so much more stuff coming out you know it feels like you know every week there's five more games to to look at and and do you think do you think the hobby has changed a huge amount from that or you know is everyone just trying to milk it while it's there and while it's big i think some people talk about golden age and i've heard people say that we're past this now golden age of of board gaming i don't i don't think we're we're still in it really and i think the what you could call like the democratization of of board gaming the fact that there are games about brewing uh sorry distilling spirits and going to be one about making musical instruments and there's you know um games um that are are on every subject you can almost think of right that i think people are continuing to be creative and sort of think oh there's there's any way to be able to to include any anything um as a game in some way you know there's a really interesting one i was hearing about quite recently um unfortunately i'm sorry the name escapes me but it was a game which was about recovering from a serious head injury designed by somebody who'd suffered a serious head injury. And the the progress of that was that you, you, you know, you do some sort of physical therapy and you get a little bit better and you, you know, you do... Uh, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know enough about it to be able to speak about it uh, intelligently, but that just sounded bonkers i mean that, that that's a game great fantastic that's a way for um that person to i guess it sort of express a little bit about how how that experience was for them but also for people to understand a little bit about what that experience is like about um not being able to um do everything that you maybe want to do physically and, and mentally um and being able to express that through through a game is you know that just that made me think 
uh, a lot about that in the last uh, in the last few days since I've heard about it. Um, so, oh gosh, long way away from short answer to the to the question. Um, I think that there are. Or, sorry, I think there, there continues to be endless new games and people think of new things to do in the hobby. And sure, there's a load of chaff in that, but I think there's still some fantastic ideas and some really cool things. And it's very easy to become disillusioned with, oh, it's too much new and it's cold and new and all this kind of stuff. But I, I think that I'm still excited by it. I'm still still keen to find out what the the next the next games are and, and what people are thinking about thinking of. I think the other thing that I've maybe noticed in the last year or so, although it has been kind of gradually gradually building in, is I think some game designers as well are much more aware of potentially their eco footprint and mm-hmm. how parts are sourced and you know the mm-hmm. the, the longevity of them. It, it, both in two ways is yes, plastic is in some ways great because it will last forever. So if you're going to make a game that you want someone to keep, yeah. you, you don't want something that's going to crumble and fall apart after three uses. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also, you know, there are games that are coming through that have that focus on kind of eco-awareness, but also I think more importantly are, are producing parts that are much more sustainable for the planet and things and right earthborn rangers right they yeah. bury it bury it in the back garden when you're done game um although one that i think maybe like kind of misses the mark is uh, you you got the spill which um yeah. you know actually in in a slightly light more light-hearted way highlights the uh the dangers of of oil in our ocean uh but yet has a massive lump of plastic to stick yeah. in the middle of the table <laughs> not not very well produced plastic that's going to fall to bits and end up in the bin absolutely like it's uh it's a bit of an own goal on that one what about you neil have you seen what sort of changes maybe in the wider community that you've noticed definitely it feels to me that there's just so many more it's difficult, isn't it? It's a bit chicken and egg because I think that there's a lot more people making the game that they've always wanted to make. But I also think that then there's a lot of people who have just highlighted that board gaming's having a bit of a boom at the moment and trying to just churn stuff out to to, to print money. And and it's, you know, I, I think by all accounts, you know, it's it's not the industry that you're going to become a millionaire in. Um, but so many of these Kickstarters just look absolutely huge. Like everyone's going for big box now. Everyone's going for buttloads of minis and expansions and blah, blah, blah. And the hoy but really how often are these games like surely everyone's the same as us that if i like so i think about a big game that i've pledged for um and i think like andromeda's edge that's going to be massive when that turns up but then i look i think i think about games like eclipse second dawn i've probably played that eight times now which is probably good going for a big uh, you know a big box game like that but i tell you what eclipse second dawn doesn't need is is boatloads of different expansions because it's only going to get played, you know, a few times a year. Although I think there are some gaming, you know, when when you look on some of the forums and things, I think there are some gaming groups where like they just play one game, and Eclipse might be their game, right? And yeah. so- right, and sure, 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 definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, but like we were saying earlier about being a little bit more ruthless, like I was definitely probably one of the worst for buying new games every every couple of weeks during the pandemic. And I did low, but I do I do sell a lot of games as well. But at the moment, I'm so much quicker to just be like, 
nah, not interested. Also because I've probably got a game that fits that criteria that I wished I played more already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you do also get, you know, little, little, little things that do catch your eye and that do fill a gap. So like Turing Machine. I've, I've, we've played with uh, Lou and I have just passed 20 games of that now. So we've completed all of the games in the book, but there was nothing else like it in our collection. And we've, and we've picked it up and we've loved it. Like I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around Frostpunk and that satisfies an itch that I can't scratch with any of my other games. So mm-hmm. um, what a, what a time to be a uni student though. Right. Like you imagine <laughs> if the three of us were in a uni house together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Degrees would be failed. Well, my my eldest has just gone to university, but he's actually very much enjoying uh, Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop role plays. So that's, I think, kind of his mm. his passion at the moment, and that's what they're doing. But you know, again, that's still a massive campaign, but you don't need to spend uh, 150 quid on a huge box of stuff. No. So Man, to- I wish that was cool when I was at university. I don't think it's cool now. Okay. Um, so I've got a couple of questions for you guys that have come through uh, our Discord when we kind of got chatting about this. Um, and one, I really like this question, is uh, what game were you really looking forward to but ultimately disappointed with? Or potentially vice versa, that you weren't looking forward to it and you're like, wow, this is brilliant. I tell you what I was really pleasantly surprised by, Seven Wonders Duel. I didn't expect to enjoy um, that as much as I did out of a little... Uh, two-player Seven Wonders experience. I think what was a massive disappointment was the crew, the quest for Planet Nine. That was a massive disappointment. That had such big hype, and maybe I just need to give it another to go. Maybe I just didn't get it, but that I I, I played that once, and I was like, well, I'd, I'd rather just play like Forecast or whatever. I didn't know you'd played that. Yeah, bought it. Bought it fairly uh, fairly near the start. Played it with Lou, and uh, and was just a bit yeah was just a bit down on it. It's funny. I played the um, Deep Sea recently and, and been pleasantly surprised by it. Honestly, maybe we just didn't get it. But so I'll tell you what I was pleasantly surprised with was when we played for the podcast when we played Power Grid. Yes, because I agree with that. auction games have never really appealed to me. I don't mind a game where there's kind of an auction mechanic as a tiny little aside, but when when kind of that auctioning plays a big part in what you're doing, it, I, I don't know. I've just maybe just not found the right right game. But but yeah, Power Grid was something when when Neil suggested playing it, I was a bit like, oh, okay, fine, well, let's just do that. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised with that. Yeah, just quick having a quick scroll on BGG stuff that I've rated highly. Other stuff that I've really enjoyed that I that I wasn't sure if I would. I'm gonna put Final Go in there because I didn't think I'd ever really like much solo gaming stuff, and I really like that stuff. Um, yeah, but I've, you've kind of really got into a bit of solo gaming, haven't you? Yeah, big time. And I've and I've waxed on enough about um, Final Girl to to not really talk about it anymore. Sushi Go Party. <laughs> Great game. Right. And I did not think that I was going to have any sort of strong feelings towards that whatsoever. I thought that was going to be like warm milk to me. Um, But that's a great little game. Brilliant. I I think there are so many of those party games out there. And actually, you can pick them up fairly cheap. And because they're popular being party games, move them on. But there are some real... Love Letter. How good's Love Letter? It's terrible. (laughs) I I really enjoy Love Letter. Yeah. We've discussed that before. I enjoy Love Letter. But there are so many of these kind of group quick party games that actually, I think, don't always get the acclaim I think they maybe deserve. For for what they do, they're brilliant. 
I think a couple for me that have been massive disappointments for me over the last few years um, have been Western Legends. So that was game picked up at uh, Tabletop Live in 2019. And this kind of looked like Red Dead Redemption, the the board game. And it just wasn't, it felt underdeveloped. Again, maybe I just missed something. Some people love it, but it it just didn't feel like it was quite ready. And, and you know, particularly when you play at higher player counts, it just took forever. Uh, so that was one that was not, uh, didn't end up loving and was very disappointed about it. And the second one, which I think we probably all share, because I just so wanted this to be brilliant, was uh, Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core. That yeah, was a big disappointment. Should have been great. Should have been great at that. Um, other end of the scale, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know there's anything new to say because I talk about the games that I love all the time. Um, and maybe I'll just throw Brass Birmingham again out there and Brass Lancashire in that uh, as well. But didn't, didn't expect to love those. Already said the story. Love them now. Jimbot on Discord, who asked that last question, also just asked, "Is have you ever changed your mind about like a genre of game?" Are you just I don't ha- think so for me particularly. Um, I think that I to call out a game as well as just roots is that I think I just, as I spoke about before, kind of quite radically changed my mind on on how much I, I enjoyed that game. Um, and I think that has just been a product of a little bit your point before Neil of finding other things that kind of replaced that niche. I'm also a little bit grumpy because I think you overplayed the app and spoiled it for yourself. I think that's very likely. Uh, and I was actually going to say something <laughs> similar is that we just played the hell out of Root. Is that I don't, you know, I don't, none of us should think negatively. Well, no, you don't kneel about Root because we had so much enjoyment out of it. Um, and I've, I've logged 35 players of it. Still one of my top 10 games. Okay. Well, I think, I think that kind of gives everyone a, broad insight of maybe where we've come and especially over the last 18 months of uh, slogging out this podcast so um <laughs> i'd like to thank uh, slash in uk from our discord channel for suggesting this topic i think it's always good to kind of have you know a nice little reflection about where you're at in the gaming journey and you know what maybe is uh the direction you'd you'd like to head your own personal collections in and i think it leads nicely on just to remind you listener that we do have quite an active discord channel there's discussions in there every single day um and if there is something you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, please uh, do get in touch. So uh, if you go onto our website uh, to uh, I'm having my one.com, you can find links to that and all of our socials there. Uh, alternatively, there should be a link in the bottom of the description of this episode. So finally, before we wrap up a couple of episodes ago, we did a little draft of the BGG top 100 to find nine games we'd like to build a small collection of uh, and then we asked you the listener to vote on so thomas uh, how did the votes turn out so very exciting obviously uh the only if you won <laughs> the, the the collections i'll just give them to you one more time just so you know what we're talking about give you some context um go back to the full episode if you you want it in more detail uh the three collections were neil had scythe cascadia twilight imperium root castle burgundy great western trail heat pedal to the metal sleeping gods and mage knight uh paul you ended up with brass birmingham orleans clank crocodile Quacks of Quedenberg, War of the Ring, Raiders of the North Sea, Puerto Rico, and Ark Nova. Uh-oh. 
and uh, I had Pandemic Legacy Season 1, Seven Wonders Duel, Nemesis, Twilight Struggle, A Feast for Odin, Wingspan, Everdell, Dune Imperium, and Battlestar Galactica. So after, oh gosh, so many votes across Discord, Instagram, and Spotify, the results are these in a gallant third place, also last, which is fantastic because <laughs> he always wins every bloody thing, is Paul. I'm sorry, Paul. Yours was the least favoured. You got screwed over by the uh, the spinning wheel of, of fate, but... Uh, oh. Wheel of death, yeah. Yeah. Then, excitingly, second place was myself, which then means Neil's collection won the draft of the board game Geek Top 100, as done by I'm Having My One. Neil, any uh, any, any words of, of victory? Uh, no, I will remain magnanimous in victory. Jeez. So we're definitely going to do something like this again. I think we really enjoyed it. Hopefully you enjoyed that piece of content as well. Um, we're going to focus this ar- around specific parts of the hobby rather than going through the whole uh, list of board game geeks, top one million. Um, so more to follow on that. Go on and sum us up, Paul. Or outro us. So that's it for episode 33 Uh, We hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed recording it. And all that's left for me to say is we've been I'm having my one and I hope you have yours too. I'm having my one.